one of my biggest learnings so far is that it's just really about the people. Um, what matters most every day is my customers and the people that I employ, you know, making sure they're happy, making sure they have, they have an enjoyable place to work, a safe place to work. And that really, I do all of this for the, the, those two groups of people. Welcome to Honest E-Commerce, where we are dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And I'm your host, Annette Grant. And we believe running an online business does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. If you're struggling to scaling your sales, Electric Eye is here to help. To apply to work with us, visit electriceye.io slash connect to learn more. And let's get on with the show. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Honest E-Commerce. I'm super excited today to be speaking with Kimberly Lewis. Kimberly is the co-founder of the wildly successful Curl Mix, a beauty brand for curly hair. Uh, But this is a really interesting show today. Um, They've done a lot of really cool stuff with the brand. Uh, been featured on Shark Tank, which I know is a a buzzword for a lot of our listeners. Uh, But let's, let's kind of take it back. Before you guys had this multi-million dollar brand. You met your co-founder in high school. Is that correct? Yes. Let's talk about that. So who is your co-founder? My co-founder is my husband, Tim. Our names actually Ryan. We're Kim and Jim. <laughs> and have been for like the last decade. Uh, but we met back in high school. Absolutely. So did you guys ever expect that you'd be running a business together? Um, not early on. Early on, Timothy wanted to be a professor. <laughs> it's totally not what he's doing now. Uh, he wanted to get paid to read and do work and research and um, just spend out his days reading really thick books and doing lots of research and telling people about what his studies were. Um, and then uh, I was going to be um, in corporate. You know, I was going to be in corporate America, the the perfect worker bee. Um, and I spent all of my years in college just really trying to be that perfect suits and learning the, you know, to talk to talk, um, to wear pumps and pencil skirts to all my meetings. And, you know, it just, I, we spent a lot of time trying to look the part, uh, in business school, which is kind of funny. And in our last year of school, um, I had to build an app for curly hair, whatever interest I had. And then we, um, got introduced to like the entrepreneur, segment, if you will, at the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign. And we didn't even know it existed. It was basically called Research Park. And that's where they had like incubators and such and just things like that. We had no clue those things even existed. And so we were kind of bummed that it was our last semester when we figured it out. But we were like, you know what, maybe we should become entrepreneurs. Like maybe that's the only way to like really make this kind of wealth or money that we had anticipated, you know, in life. You know, we knew that we couldn't get there with a job. Um... And so we were like, okay, let's just figure this out. And so we started our first business as a uh, social network for natural hair. And if you know anything about tech or, you know, you know, you know that niche social networks don't work because you can never really compete with the Googles, the Facebooks, the, you know, Pinterest and Twitter, you know, you just can't compete with these really, really large companies. And so we did that for about a year and a half um, and just decided that the business that we would do the next time would make money on day one. Uh, and we wouldn't spend a year and a half doing something that didn't have a real revenue model. And that is how we landed on Chromex. So it's kind of funny. So we that's how we landed on e-commerce because you get, you know, you you sell something, you get a check, you know, you get a check or you get a payment. And that wasn't the case for a lot of tech companies that you see out there. Yeah, with 
with tech, it's a lot of uh, build the MVP and test and test and pivot and test. But uh, the cool thing about e-com is if you build a product people want, you can make money that same day. Validated. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. So what was the first product you guys came out with? It was a do-it-yourself box for curly hair. So basically, we would send you a box with you know three to five ingredients to make your own hair care products. And we did that for about two years. Um, well, I think it was a little bit more than two, but basically we realized that it wasn't going to get us to this multi-million dollar success that we were all longing for. But in the, in the event of doing that, we got a lot of research and figured out what our customers actually liked. So, you know, I, I used to say that, oh, we like kind of failed, but it was just Chromex 1.0, you know, and Chromex 2.0 was actually implementing what we had already validated. So we ended up turning our best-selling boxes into a hair care line where um, our flaxseed gel was our best seller. So flaxseed gel was originally only a do-it-yourself product. You couldn't get it in stores. People just wouldn't make it. It was too much work for manufacturers. And most people didn't know how to scale the process. And so Tim and I did what the hard thing was to do and figured out how we could actually scale it and really found our niche in the market for that item. Awesome. So I want to kind of unpack that a bit. So you guys launched with the do-it-yourself box. Now, was that under the Curl Mix brand? Yes. Okay. That was where the name came from. You're mixing for your curls. Oh, yeah. makes sense. All right. And then you found the best-selling products from that, from the data of selling that box and turned those into your own proprietary line. Yes. That's... That's you're just using data to make you money. That's amazing. <laughs> Thanks. At the time, I didn't see it that way. At the time, I was like, my business is failing. <laughs> um, but I had a conversation with a friend. She was making hair care products at the time. And she was telling me that the industry's margins were like 70% on average for you know other hair care companies. And I was like, wait a minute. The margins on my box are thir- boxes are 30%. And that's when I realized a lot of box that a lot of box companies have thirty percent margins. I'm like, there's no way I can ever compete with other hair care companies if they're getting three times or you know two or three times as much as I'm getting for every customer sold. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so, and basically, when I realized that, I was like, okay, I have to do something different because this isn't going to scale. You know, there's a reason that we're struggling, um, and this isn't going to change. It's only going to get worse. So what do my customers really want? You know, by them, by us not growing really fast and um, them not coming back as much as I wanted them to let me know that like, um, this wasn't the right, I wasn't doing what they actually wanted, you know? So I stopped doing what I wanted, which was the do-it-yourself box. I started doing what they wanted, which was making the product for them, but making a unique product for them. Yeah, the done-for-you solution. I mean, I think hindsight's always twenty twenty, And with that one, uh, someone would get the box and make what they wanted but at the end of the day they didn't want half those ingredients they wanted exactly what they wanted and you know that's oftentimes what you find when you're offering any sort of service out there or trying to educate people about how to do it yourself they just end up going like can you just do what i want right or you can you just do it for me because we found that our best customers were like their boxes were piling up they love the products i love the ingredients but it was like i can't reasonably do this every time i do my hair yeah so it was a little time consuming Yes, that is exactly what it was. You were solving a pain point of a of your own product, just making it better. Right, precisely. And then when I did that, I realized I could sell it at the same price because nobody else was doing it, you know? So And then were you hitting the margins that you had dreamed of? Oh yeah, I was hitting margins that everybody dreamed of. And <laughs> and then I got copycats. <laughs> hey, that's imitation is the most sincerest form of flattery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's let's talk about 
one of the first amazing parts of your story, the million dollar launch. Yes. So was this with the now done for you kit? Yes. So now, so we started with the Joe. January of last year, we made about 3,000 bucks in the month of January. Um, and we had completely switched our model and started making this flaxseed gel done for you service. I freaked out and I was like, oh my gosh, our business is, you know, at the time we were used to our best month ever as a do-it-yourself box, we made maybe like 17,000 in a, in a month. And so um, pivoting the business that month, we only made 3,000. I was kind of like freaking out, you know, like this is back to day one. Right. And then my husband was like, no, Kim, like, you knew that one January was going to be slower. You knew this is a pivot. Like we're on the right track. Just keep going. So I went to a conference uh, called Traffic Sales and Profit. And one of the founders of the conference was like, basically, it's easy to sell your old customers new things than it is to sell new customers anything. Oh, yeah. So I went back to my old customers. Okay, you guys like the gel. Like what else do you guys like? And they were like, oh, we love the moisturizer. We actually, I use them together. And then I found out they were using the moisturizer and the gel to get like this wash and go look. I had no idea that they were doing that. Right. Um, and so at this time I had expanded the fragrances of the gel and I was like, okay, well, I'll go ahead and add the moisturizer because this is what they want. And then I did that. And then we also added the serum and the body butter. Those are our other top sellers. So within those three months, um, and then we also started working with micro influencers. So we would give them a code. They would earn a percentage of sales and our customers would get a discount when they came through those uh, micro-influencers. And we, the second month in February, we did about 8,000. So I was like, okay, cool. Like we doubled last month. Like this is great, you know? And then the third month we ended up hitting 30,000. When we introduced micro-influencers and my micro meaning less than 20,000 followers on Instagram, which converted way better than any macro-influencer we'd ever used. So I was like, wow, like this is it. And so I was like, we've never made this much money ever before or seen this kind of growth. And um, my husband, he ended up quitting his job that March and came to work full time on the business. And I think that was the biggest um, benefit in all of that because I basically got somebody who's pretty much brilliant to come and work for free. And I think that's what a lot of people are missing when they do e-commerce or just, you know, start businesses. They try to do it by themselves. And you really need somebody to work in the front of the house and the back of the house, right? So my job is front of the house. It's marketing. It's customer service. Um, it's the finance stuff. The back of the house is the operations, the making the product, shipping it, making sure people are getting what they need. Um, and so he really took over that part of the business. And so that was a tremendous help. And so then... After we had 30,000, I think the following month we did a little bit 25K, but then in the next month we did like 45K, and the next month 66,000. And then we had our first six figure month in August. Oh, and I introduced Facebook ads in April. So I hadn't spent any money on Facebook ads from January to March. So that $30,000 was just, you know, all like, it was not all profit, but you know, I didn't have to pay for advertising for it. Um, but for the April, we started coupling. I mean, pairing our efforts with Facebook ads, which I feel like was the, probably the best thing that we could have ever done because we weren't trying to make demand. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we were trying to validate it, if you will, and validating it in the absence of uh, paid advertisements. So there's something that you mentioned a few times already in this podcast, which I just want to point out. And I, I've speak on this before. Is you have said multiple times, we asked our customers, we interviewed our customers. How crucial do you think that was to the growth of the business? I think it was huge in the beginning. I think you know because you're you're, you're really just 
as an entrepreneur, you really are just a servant. Um, and, and I know that like, <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I know, I know, serve my customers, serve my customers. But really, if you don't do what they want, if they want, right? Then like, what's the point of being in business? You know, no one's gonna, I think a lot of us just want to get paid to do what we want to do. <laughs> but that's just not uh, what entrepreneurship is. It's solving people's problems. It's making life easier for them. It's um, creating a real solution in the market. And I think it, it just requires uh, a certain attitude, you know? Absolutely. I, I think that people are... Once they kind of hit that first kind of burst of sales, they're like, well, my idea is validated now. It's like, well, no. You found a market. I bet you there's a better idea in there. And just ask right. around. You'll find out. And I think that's been like our claim to fame is a constant iteration. So basically, my first foot in the door into the hair care space was our social network. And we were educating people on hair care. It didn't work as a business model, but I learned so much about hair and what our customers really wanted. And then we started a do-it-yourself box, right? Based on what we learned from that first business. And then I learned what my customers really were willing to pay for, right? Not, you know, and they'll say they want one thing, right? Everyone says they care about ingredients and they want the most natural product, but what they're willing to pay for is somebody who saves some time. So, <laughs> um, and then it gets the same results, right? And so then that's when we figured out what product they were actually wanting. And then after we figured out that, we ended up scaling to what we have now with our four-step system to get you the wash and go of your dreams. So basically, we started with the end of our line. Our four-step system has a shampoo, a conditioner, a moisturizer, and a gel. The gel is what we created first. The moisturizer is what we created second. And the shampoo, shampoo and conditioner, we didn't launch until an entire year later, which was February of this year. And now we have a full system. That's awesome. So you guys have this amazing launch. You have these amazing products that you've developed how did you end up on Shark Tank? My husband and I have been watching Shark Tank for years. I mean, oh my gosh, years. Um, and that's actually how we got the idea for the do-it-yourself box, which is really funny because we saw a lady on there doing it for cookies. And we were like, I wonder if anyone does this for hair because I make, I spend hundreds of dollars at Whole Foods and I don't even know if the product is going to turn out the way I want it to. Um, so that was really serendipitous and full circle. Um, but in Shark Tank, my auntie just sent us an email. They were casting here in the neighborhood. Um, and my husband and I went, we took the baby. We didn't think we would actually make it on the show, but we knew that like our story was compelling. It, um, like the Kim and Tim. Yeah, it'd be fun. Stories, really. At, at least it'd be fun at the end of the day. You know, you got something to talk about. Yeah, you know, we were curious. We were so nervous. We rolled up with the baby in tow. Like he, he was in a stroller. Um, and then we like, we kind of pitched. We were starting like, hi, I'm Kim and I'm Tim. And you know, blah, blah, blah. And she kind of like started smiling at the end and she was just like, after we pitched, you know, we had told her all of our numbers and this, that, and the other. And this is like May of last year. She was like, I like that you're Kim and Tim. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like, okay. So she liked us, but you only get to talk to one judge at a casting. So if they don't like you, then that that's it. And so it's, it's like, what is it? It's harder to get on Shark Tank than it is to get into Harvard, uh, which I think is funny. That is. It's been like 30 or 40,000 applicants per year. And then they actually only end up selecting 88 to pitch on the actual show. So it's kind of crazy. Um, but after that, they kind of take you through it. So they called us maybe two weeks later and we kind of freaked out. We screamed or whatever, but that's like, that was only for a short minute. It was a super long email with a bunch of things you had to do. And then basically they're doing rounds of cuts, I think three or four more times before you actually make it onto the show. And some people get cut the day before, you know? So like it literally 
is just uh, sometimes it feels like just chance. So it's a combination of like what they're looking for and what you bring to the table. And then really, I think what's the most important is your story. You have to have a really good story because, you know, they're essentially creating TV, right? Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be entertainment for people at home. People at home want to see themselves and the founders. They want to see, you know, how you got to where you are. It's so really communicating that story. It's going to make a difference when you actually audition. And then we, we drilled our pitch like, I don't know, insanity. Like we felt like we were back in college or something. And I think we actually studied harder for this than we did for any exam that we would have ever studied for in college. <laughs> um, we rewrote our pitch maybe seven times because uh, it was tough because we were still trying to figure out the brand. We were in the midst of a pivot, right? So, you know, we were focusing on this flaxseed gel even though, you know, the brand was growing into something else. And by the time the episode would air, which would be six months later, we filmed in like September, so it aired in March, we would be a different business. So it's like, what what message should we be sending? Are we pitching the right stuff? It, it was really stressful, actually. Um, but still amazing. A really amazing opportunity as well. That's awesome. So you guys are there. You're on the show. How was meeting the judges? How was the whole experience of the pitching? And then you guys actually turned down an offer, didn't you? Yes. So... Um, one, you don't see the judges before you go on the show. So like when you right there, when I'm pitching them is the first time I get to see them. Uh, so then you're like nervous is I'll get out. I mean, literally just what are they frogs in your throat or like butterflies in your stomach? It just everything. It's probably the, the most nerve wracking experience you've ever had because you're basically pitching billionaires, right? Or at least, at least one billionaire, right? There's billions of networks in the room. Plus they're celebrities. Yes, that's the other factor. So you've been watching them on your TV for the last 10 years or whatever, and you finally get to talk to them. So that <laughs> that's like nerve wracking in itself. Um, but it was funny because after I pitched and came out the deal, I ended up seeing Robert in his golf cart and he came up behind me and shook me. He's like, you should have took the deal. <laughs> it was so funny. He was laughing. Now he's being really silly. I thought it was really sweet. That's awesome. Support for our podcast comes from our friends at Simpler a new way to staff 24-7 sales and customer service on your e-commerce store. It works with your existing email and chat platforms, so setup is quick and easy. Simpler's network of on-demand, U.S.-based Simpler specialists are standing by to answer your customers' most common questions. Set it up for free today and then turn it on or off depending on your customer volume. You only pay $2.25 for every resolution. No hidden fees, contracts, or minimums. Close more sales with Simpler by staffing your email and live chat around the clock with Simpler specialists. Start your free 7-day trial at simpler.ai slash honest. That's S-I-M-P-L-R dot A-I slash honest um people don't realize a lot of the drama is done up for television uh but basically we turned on the offer because we just knew we were going to grow really fast and a whole lot more than the sharks knew and um they weren't really going to take the risk and we felt like we were a really good risk to take because we'd already done a lot of the legwork as far as research and this wasn't our second this wasn't our first rodeo you know technically i like to look at chromics um this is like our to second and a half or third startup, you know, like we know what not to do now. And so we're just a safer bet than maybe most founders on their first try. Um, but basically we kind of set up what we would and wouldn't take the night before uh, between a conversation between Tim and I. And we actually went back to watch like um, the Ring episode, the founder of Ring, you know, he ended up exiting to Amazon for a billion dollars. And he was on the Shark Tank show and he kind of had a similar evaluation that we had. But he was like kind of laughed off of the show, right? 
And so we're like, okay, well, we want to be able to tell America our story and make sure we get our story apart across. Like we can't go in there with a valuation that we, you know, that matches Jamie's. I think that's that was his name. And so we lowered our valuation. And when the sharks still wouldn't budge, we were like, we know we can't go any lower because we've already cut it in half. Um, and so, yeah, we walked away. And I think it was the best decision for us because we ended up raising money at a much more favorable valuation um, after the show aired. So. so I got a few questions there. One, going into it, did you guys have a conversation like we're prepared to say no? Yes. All right. Not no, not not entirely. We were prepared to say no if it's the wrong offer. So I think it was like we wouldn't give up anything more than fifteen percent of our company, and we went in there with a ten percent offer mainly because they we were convinced that if we went anything with went into the, any offer with single digit numbers that the sharks would wouldn't even hear us, and so we were like, okay, we'll do ten percent, but we can't go above fifteen because we know at some point we may have to raise money again, and fifteen percent is kind of criminal from a venture capital perspective, right? Usually around is like twenty percent. But they're, you're getting like a million or a couple million dollars for a twenty percent round, not you know four hundred thousand for fifteen. I mean for twenty percent. That's what Robert wanted. So it's like half as much money as you would get anywhere else. Um, and Robert had mentioned that he didn't know anything about hair care, so we knew he wouldn't be able to help us scale. You know, it would just be a check, which you could just get from a bank. You know, um, and so we basically went in with our walkaway numbers or in NBA school, they call it your BATNA. It's better alternative to negotiating an agreement. It's like, we can't come to a consensus, you know, what's going to happen? What are we going to do? And so we knew we would walk away if it was anything more than 15%. Didn't matter the cash about cash value. Absolutely. So um, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this is Shark Tank. Uh, the, the offers from Shark Tank are... A little. I'm just gonna say they're definitely in the sharks' favor, right? Always. So you'd say traditional, uh, kind of doing traditional rounds in the whole venture ecosystem would make for a better financial deal for an entrepreneur. One hundred percent. And sharks know that. <clears throat> they know that if you went to a traditional venture fund, that the conversation would be different. The expectations would be different. Um, you would get more equity as a founder, or they wouldn't take as much. You know, um, they just. I think they'd make a lot of the math simple for at home viewers. Yeah. So that you guys can like easily calculate it. But like, you know, one person having one or two percent of your company is still a lot. Like. You know, but they do it in fives and tens, 15s, 20s, and 30s. And that's just not how venture capital is done. Um, and we've raised a million dollars in funding, um, led by the CEO of LinkedIn and some of his partners and backstage capital. And so that said, it was nowhere near, um, it's like 10% of our company. It's nowhere near the 20% Robert wanted for $400,000. And we actually, it was 1.2 million, not 1 million. So um, you'll get a much better deal if you go the traditional venture route. That's a, amazing advice right there. I know that Shark Tank is kind of just the golden goose of entrepreneurship, but it's kind of just to be a little... Uh, maybe it plays up to the vanity, but not so much. It's just... I don't know where I was going with that thought, really. No, it's okay. Some people, you know, because some people's dream is to be on a show, which is great. And I mean, it did, it, it was wonderful for our sales for sure. Um, but if you go on the show and you don't get, you know, you, you really want to, there are other ways to get capital. There are better ways to get capital, you know? Yeah. And then that was actually a question I had. So, uh, do you have like, uh, the math worked out on what kind of bump the, after the airing happened for the sales? 
Yes, I think we made a few hundred thousand dollars extra from the airing. Um, so the month before Shark Tank, we did maybe like 300,000 in sales. And the month of Shark Tank, even though we upped our spending as well. So we always spend about like 30% of revenue on sales. Um, we upped our spending to maybe like 250, 250K that month. We ended up doing 900,000 that month. And that was like our best month to date. So it was like almost a million bucks in a month, which is insane because um, last year, that's pretty much all we did for the entire year. So you can imagine my staff was like swamped. Um, but, and then that's the other thing people don't tell you this, but like sometimes people go out of business after Shark Tank cause they can't handle such the influx of orders. Um, so it was a lot around getting prepared for the show on like the production side, but even like there are certain things you want to do to your site for it to be ready when a Shark Tank airs, you know, we had to upgrade to Shopify plus a couple months ahead of time to deal with the traffic. We had to make sure we had all our email captures in place and our ads going, um, our retargeting ads, especially because we knew we were going to get traffic or people were just lurkers and not buyers. Um, there's so much more to be done uh, when you find out you're going to air because it's like the biggest opportunity you might get. So you don't, you don't want to mess it up. Uh, yeah, I think right there is an amazing piece of advice. Be it Shark Tank or a press feature or you happen to have a piece of content go viral. Uh, all of those things you just mentioned are things you really need to consider. It, 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 you wouldn't believe the word. I feel like I didn't sleep those 3 weeks because you get 3 weeks of you know three weeks ahead of time if it's actually going to air because even if you film you don't know if it's going to air um and you don't know when it's going to air and so that's the crazy thing so you get three weeks to get ready for you know hundreds of thousands of visits to your website um in a day you know it's just it was crazy it was crazy oh i mean i am guilty of this when i watch shark tank uh the second something i'm interested in pops up there i'm instantly on their website yep yep and you know what? To be honest, I've seen some really bad websites. And, and you know what? It's because sometimes people end up being on the show and they're like just really a gimmicky kind of product. They're not like um, focused on being a real business. And so they don't even, you know, they have no clue what to do. Because we were already making, you know, six figures monthly before the show aired. But if we hadn't, if we had been featuring Shark Tank maybe the third month in business, oh my goodness. You know, like we would have been... <laughs> We didn't have any. We were first of all, we weren't spending any money on advertising, right? So there's no way you're going to do a million in a month on you know any Shark Tank episode airing um, in today's day and age because your site wouldn't have been nearly ready for something like that. You know what I mean? You, it would have crashed. You probably would have still been on the basic version of Shopify's uh, payment plan. Um, you probably don't have a customer service team in place or chat or live chat. You don't have. I mean, it's just a million things. So it's like it's a. I'm just lucky that we were ready when we were actually on the show and it wasn't with my business, it wasn't my business two years ago, you know, where we had a bunch of do it yourself boxes and we would have lost money because we weren't having high margins on the boxes. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely can agree there. I've seen a few uh, pitches that were, I would say just there for comic relief. Right. Right. Entertainment. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's the key. The show is 100% entertainment and maybe 20% helping entrepreneurs. Yeah. I think the biggest benefit to Shark Tank is helping me figure out the math. Like if you don't know anything about venture capital, it's a it's a good I think it's a good show to watch, right? But then once you learn venture capital and you learn like real business, you're like, oh, a lot of this is not entirely accurate, you know? Yeah, there's a lot more numbers that go into it. Right, precisely. All right. So post Shark Tank, you guys are have been cruising along now. So what would you say in this whole journey of yours, what's the biggest lesson you've learned? The biggest lesson that I've learned is that... Or I can phrase it in a different way. 
What's the biggest mistake you've made? No, that, that was good. The, the biggest lesson I've learned is that, you know, um, the goal is not to not work. I think people think that, but at, at every stage it requires a different, a different Kim or a better Kim. Um, and one of my biggest learnings so far is that it's just really about the people. Um, what matters most every day is my customers and the people that I employ, you know, making sure they're happy, making sure they, ha- they have an enjoyable place to work, a safe place to work. Um, and that really, I do all of this for the, the, those two groups of people, my employees and my customers. And so, um, and that's something I don't think people think, you know, you start your own business as a way to, to leave your job, to, to not work with the petty people you work with now, or, um, you know, as a way to escape. But what you don't realize is that if you're successful, you're going to build a better version of what you left. You know what I'm saying? Um, and that's crazy to think. So it's okay. Well, what's the, what's the purpose of all of this at the end of the day? And it, it's really just the people that you serve on both ends of it. That's a great answer. Awesome. So as a millennial, as an African-American, what's like the biggest goal in impacting your community and generation that you guys have? Um, I like to create more jobs. I think... And I like to pay people better than what I think the industry pays them. So I think like minimum wage is something like $9 or something like that. Um, They just raised it here in Chicago, but none of our employees make less than $17 an hour. Because I just don't believe you can live on, you know, $10 an hour here in Chicago, right? You can't make a living wage there. I think it's actually close to the poverty line, which is insane to me. Um, And so that's been a goal of mine is to make sure that we employ people with a lifestyle that's reasonable and, um, you know, something that's fulfilling and happy, you know, um, again, the people matter most. And so that's a goal of mine is to just employ people, more people who look like me too. Uh, we hire from a lot of underserved communities, our staff, we have about staff of maybe 15 to 20 folks in our manufacturing facility. And they are from the South side, the West side, uh, here in Chicago. And that's just, it makes me happy. And that's my goal is to continue serving them. That's amazing. So you, you, all of your production is there in Chicago? Yes, we have some of, yes, all of our productions in Chicago. Some of the small pieces of our product production we outsource, but even still those, those, that's still here in Chicago to another brand, another company who's employing people from the same communities. So it's, yes. That's a great mission. Thank you. Awesome. So as we kind of wrap up here, what's next for Curl Mix? Uh, my goal is to make $10 million this year. <laughs> oh, well, I hope that you do that. Thank you. I hope so too. All right. Well, if people are inspired by you and they want to know more about you, where, th- where can they find you online? Where can they check out the products? Uh, they can check out the products at chromix.com. And if you want to follow me um, and Tim specifically, we really only post our kid. He's one year old. <laughs> He's one year old. Um, and we're pregnant. So I post a lot of like pregnancy stuff. But um, my personal Instagram on Kim and Tim Lewis. Uh, Kim and Tim Lewis. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining the show today. Thank you so much for having me. We can't thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing the truth. Links and more will be available in the show notes. If you found any actionable advice in this podcast that you'd like to apply to your business, please reach out at electriceye.io slash connect. Please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. 